Well, as I said earlier, we're going to continue as we, uh, as we look at uh, faith and politics, and I'll just remind you when we began this series, we began by looking at uh, James, the letter that James wrote, which reminds us that uh, we are called to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And so um, I remind you of that as I share these words this day. Um, I also want to remind us last week as um, we began to unpack this, we talked about the dangers uh, of uh, giving in to a political idolatry. Uh, this idea uh, of believing that our tribe has all of the right answers, or what I see more and more uh, within the church even, is to begin to believe that there is one party whose platform is exactly synonymous with God's ways and God's kingdom. Uh, I think if we begin to believe in those ways, we are in danger of committing political idolatry. When we uh, see folks that are part of our tribe doing something that we would criticize or that we would think was wrong if, if the other tribe is doing it or vice versa, then I think we are in danger of political idolatry. And so we need to be careful uh, about such things. Now, uh, some folks, I, I think, as they've listened and they were beginning to wonder uh, last week, well, so are you, are you saying that as Christians uh, we should not be involved in politics at all? Does that mean I can't be a part of a political party? No, that's not what it means. There may be some folks who choose that, but that is not necessarily what it means. In fact, I would hope that there would be Christians as part of all political parties. Because the reality is, is it's easier to speak to people within uh, your own party and to challenge their beliefs than it is, especially right now, than across parties because we just seem uh, to yell at and over each other. And so it would be much better, um, and, and I think it to be true, that there are Christians in all different kinds of political parties. Um, and so we need to be careful about political idolatry. And so this week, we're going to begin to unpack. So then how is it as Christians that we can begin to participate um, in, um, in the political system? And what is the purpose for, um, for participating? And uh, I, I thought it would be good to, um, to read from Ephesians today, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And then 12 through uh, 16. Uh, here are these words that Paul wrote to the early church at Ephesus. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourself with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then Paul continues in, in verse 12. His purpose, God's purpose, was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults 
to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let us grow in every way into Christ, who is the head, the whole body grows from him, as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments, the body makes itself grow, in that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part. Indeed, everyone with ears to hear, hear the word of God and respond this day. I think there's much in this passage that we will begin to unpack over the next couple of weeks, but I think this passage speaks to us about how to interact, and not just in the uh, body of the church, but to interact in society in general. Um, I, it gives us uh, this idea how we are to conduct ourselves with humility and gentleness and patience, and it lifts up the importance in love. And, and I love the, the part where Paul says, uh, speak the truth with love. That sounds so wonderful and easy, um, uh, but the problem becomes is, what is the truth? In today's society, that has become harder and harder for us to discern because it seems like anybody with an opinion um, is speaking the truth. Uh, but don't worry, uh, don't worry, I got an email this week from God. And so I said, God, give me all the truth in the world. And so I've got it. Okay? Um, if you're nice, I'll share it with you. Y'all, anybody believe this? Okay. Oh, what's that? <laughs> we can be hopeful. Um, if anybody tells you they have all the truth, run, um, please. Uh, but um, it, it becomes harder and harder for us because um, it seems that we're not exactly sure of where to find the truth. And, and this makes it very, very difficult. It makes us susceptible uh, to um, to conspiracy theories and false claims and false statements and, and all of these things. So, so what is it that we are to do in this case? Well, let me suggest that we need to begin by having a solid foundation of Scripture and what God has to say. Uh, we need to begin with, with understanding uh, God and God's ways. And then we can be better able to unpack and to look and to understand. I think it means we also have to discern who are the people who we can trust with information. I found it interesting this week, I think mainly because of the inauguration speech, which talked a lot about unity and truth, if you were paying attention. And I found it interesting that uh, there's been a bit of discussion out there about, well, you can't have unity and truth both. A and I think there is some truth in that, and yet part of that is not understanding unity. If, if we only understand unity as being uniform and being of the same thought as if unity means there can't be any disagreement, then I guess that would be true. 
Uh, but, I, but I found it interesting. Some, some of the folks who are proclaiming the importance of unity and truth are, are, are some of the same people that seem to believe things that to me seem to be far, far from the truth. So how is it that we are to discern the truth? If we're going to uh, speak into uh, the politics of our society, uh, what is it that we need to understand it? And I just want to say, uh, I just want to suggest that we should begin with three things from Scripture. We should begin with uh, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and the Great Requirement. Those are uh, terms that um, uh, fellow pastor Michael Slaughter, whom um, I have just uh, followed throughout my career, uh, used and said. And, and so I want to invite us today to think, as we think about how is it that we interact, how is it that we speak the truth in love, what might that look like? I want us to begin with the Great Commission. You all remember what the Great Commission is? It comes from Matthew chapter 28, uh, beginning in uh, verse 19, uh, where Jesus says, Make disciples of all nations by going and by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of the present age. So however we choose to participate in public life as followers of Christ... We are called to be about making disciples of Jesus. We are called to participate in helping and facilitating people to follow Jesus. To go, to invite them into a community of faith, and to teach them the ways of Jesus. And so, however we might involve ourselves in the, in the political realm or in the public realm, we need to be asking ourselves, what kind of witness are we putting forward? Is the way that we are participating uh, hindering our witness or furthering our witness? Is it truly more important to win, no matter what means, or is the way we win important? And now, now I can relate to that. You know, I'm a pretty competitive person, and so when I play games, I want to win. And I sometimes don't care about the feelings of the other people that I'm playing with. I, I don't cheat. Don't get me wrong. Don't worry like, oh, great, our pastor cheats to win. Uh, but uh, sometimes I do things um, because uh, it, it, it may uh, hinder them, but it helps me to win. And I'm not sure that always plays well uh, when it comes uh, to following Christ. You see, because if in winning we push people away, if in, in winning people look at the way in which Christians participate in the public, public sphere and they say, well, all they can do is tell me what they are against. All they can do is be hateful. All they can do is say bad things about the other person or the other group of people. If all they can do is point out the wrongs in the world, We may indeed push people away rather than 
draw them to Christ. And I would offer that if we look at Christ's own examples, uh, we often see him being among the people who are hurting, the people uh, who the religious leaders of the day would have called uh, the sinful and the outcast. We see Jesus participating with them, inviting them, uh, showing them a better way. In fact, I think sometimes it's because we want to teach things as if it's like, uh, obey God or you're going to go to hell. And we think our job in, in talking to other people is to just tell them how bad they are and how messed up they are and how evil they are and how bad it's going to be if they go down this path uh, trying to scare them into following Jesus. When in fact, as I read Scripture, as I read the Gospel, I don't see Jesus teaching that. I see Jesus saying, follow me, follow the ways of God. Not because you're afraid that when you die, you're, you're going to go to hell, but, but follow. Because this is indeed the best way to live in this world. This is a way that if we all lived, then all humans would have a chance to flourish. And so I think we need to keep that in mind as we, as we participate in the public square. Likewise, if we, if we turn to the passage in Mark chapter 12, uh, this is the prayer that you've been invited uh, to, to uh, pray this week, these words of Jesus, where uh, Jesus, a legal expert, um, uh, heard the disputes and, and asked Jesus, so so what commandments are the most important? And Jesus responded this way. He said, the most important ones are Israel. Listen, our God is the Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your being and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so it seems to me as we hear this passage, as we see how Jesus taught and led, if we are going to participate in the public sphere, if we're going to participate in politics, certainly we need uh, to, to be concerned about loving God and understanding God's ways. But God also calls us to love others as we love ourselves. I often wonder when we take a stance on some political issues, if we've really thought through that. If I were in uh, this person's situation, is that what I would want to hear and experience? It seems to me like in the world of politics this day, um, it is not about being concerned about the other person, but it's being concerned about ourselves. It's about grabbing for uh, uh, the power ourselves so that we can have political influence. Can we get in charge so that things can be the way that we want them so they will be better for us? Isn't that true? Isn't that often the case? It's a grapple for power. And, and unfortunately, what happens in the midst of that is some people realize uh, that the church is a powerful force. And so uh, sometimes I think that, they, that, that promises are made, that, that promises are made, and that the church seeks this power, thinking maybe if we can just uh, be in power, all 
will be according to God's ways. If we pay attention to history, it tells us that's really not the way it is, right? I mean, we can go all the way back to the time of Israel and to kings. We can see what happened in the days of Constantine when religion and, and the government were together and um, things didn't turn out so well. In fact, we did things in the name of God that I am sure that God grieves. So if, if our desire is to um, have our tribe in control so that we get our way, so that we benefit, so that our way of life can continue without any changes, without ever being challenged, I think we need to pay more attention. Scripture challenges us to think of the other. Throughout Scripture, we hear God proclaiming through the prophets to Israel, um, I don't even want you to do your sacrifices because you come and you do your sacrifices and then you go out and you trample over the poor and you oppress people and you don't take care of the widows and the orphans. Throughout Scripture, God challenges us not to just think about ourselves, but He challenges us to be like Jesus. He challenges us to love people, even people who disagree with us 180 degrees. He challenges us to love them. We really don't like the Sermon on the Mount because it is such in our face. We try uh, to take that sermon and we try to spiritualize it. And we try to make it as some ideal that God never really expected us to live up to because we don't like some of the things in it. Especially, we don't like it when God says, love your enemy. Pray for them. He even calls us to work for the well-being of those who we see as enemies. That's not how we participate in the public square, correct? It's not how we participate in our political life so often. And that leads into the, the, the last verse, which comes from Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8, which is um, um, what, what uh, is often referred to as the great requirement. We have this great commission uh, to make disciples by going and teaching and baptizing. We have this great commandment to love God and to love our neighbors. And then we have this great requirement because love is not just a feeling, but it is an action. And this great requirement is found in, in 6, um, 8 of Micah. And it says, uh, He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, no matter what, if we're going to participate in the public realm, if we're going to participate in politics, we are called to participate in working against injustice. 
We are called to work uh, for the good of all people. And if we look at Scripture, as I said, we are called to speak up, not for those uh, whom we see that ourselves to be in power with, but we are called to speak out for those whose voice is not heard. I know here in the Midwest, um, we often feel like we are uh, the, 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 the uh, forgotten and silent people, don't we? I think in part that's maybe how we got to where we are. We, we feel as if no one hears us. We feel as if our voice falls on deaf ears. And sometimes that causes us uh, to latch on to a tribe because it feels as if uh, when we do that, we suddenly, have vo- we suddenly have a voice and we suddenly have power and we suddenly have influence. But if we are not careful, if we begin to believe that the tribe that we have chosen to follow has all the right answers, we will find ourselves following them instead of following God. We will find ourselves In fact, doing things and affirming things that we we know, we know in the depths of our heart are not the way God would intend things to be. And so my invitation for us as we continue and we we think about this faith and politics as we we begin to uh, figure out how it is we can speak the truth in love, we need to first be in and about Scripture. And that doesn't mean just um, listening to the sound bites and, and, and pulling this uh, scripture that we can quote because it seems to affirm what we believe. It means understanding the whole breadth and depth of scripture so that we know the heart of God. We know that God calls us to be witnesses, to be those who invite others to come alongside us as we seek to follow Jesus. We know that God calls us to love God and to love our neighbors even as we love ourselves. And we know that God calls us uh, to practice mercy and justice as we humbly walk with God. And so as we participate, as we seek to speak the truth, may those be the things that motivate us. May those be the things that undergird um, our understanding. As we seek more wisdom in understanding how things might be. And so this week, I invite us again to pray the prayer That Jesus, uh, the words that Jesus spoke in Mark chapter 12. I invite us uh, to hear the words of Ephesians where we are called to speak the truth with love. Which calls us to practice humility and gentleness and patience and to accept each other in love. and, And to make every effort to preserve the unity of peace while we seek to speak the truth in love. And may we dig deep into Scripture 
so that we will not be tossed or blown uh, by whatever wind comes or be deceived by uh, teachings that simply are not true and are not Christ-like. So that we may do our part in building up the kingdom of God, in enabling humans to flourish. As Christians, we are called to be faithful and thoughtful in how we participate in the public life of the world. Let us fulfill the great commission and the great commandment and the great requirement this week and every week. Amen. Holy God, by your grace, guide us this week. By your love, lead us.